So kind of along that same vein, I've been joking around the last couple of weeks with some of the folks that have been leaving us to go up north. And I mentioned to somebody earlier, by the way, this uh, kind of the increase that you've seen in these empty seats is a, a normal part of our summer migration uh, back to New England and beyond. But anyway, I was joking with a few of them that I was going to pray down all the plagues on Egypt on our northern neighbors so they'd come back quicker this year, right? And and I don't know if this is related or not, but there was actually just an earthquake in, of all places, New York State. Uh, 3.6, Michael, you, did you see that? Did you feel this? 3.6 magnitude earthquake occurred around 2.10 p.m. last Sunday afternoon. Did you feel the tremors? No. So and this is according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Uh, its epicenter was in uh, Adams Center in Jefferson County. Uh, and I guess more than 1,100 people reported uh, feeling the tremor as far west as, as Rochester, that's why I asked, and as far north as Ontario, Canada. Uh, and it's the, it's the area's second incident of seismic activity in less than two weeks uh, because they, they got hit with a 2.6 magnitude earthquake on April 14th. So just use that information however you will for you folks that are still planning on leaving us for the summer. So, you know, fair warning. <laughs> but but as noteworthy as those two quakes may be, uh, those aren't the ones that I want to talk to you about today. Uh, but instead, I want us to look at two others, two other seismic events on record uh, that stand out as the most dramatic and life-changing tremors ever to occur. And both of them are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, both of them happened just three days apart. Uh, and the first one occurred when Jesus breathed his last on the cross in Matthew 27. <clears throat> it tells us, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook and rocks were split. And the second one occurred just three days later and is recorded in our primary reading for today, also from Matthew 28. Um, and I'm going to be breaking it up just a little bit. So Matthew 28, uh, beginning in verse 1. So listen for the voice of the Spirit. So now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greeting. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then dropping down to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you as we continue through this 50 days of Eastertide, uh, that you just continue to surprise us with the beauty and the majesty of the resurrection. We ask, Father, that you would help us not just to uh, recite these truths, but to relive them as, as if we're the first generation to do it, Lord. And so we ask you to lend us your spirit in these next few brief moments, uh, because like those first disciples, we want to see Jesus, and we ask it in his name. Amen. So remember, as I said, now we're still in, in the 50-day season of Eastertide, and we're still celebrating the majesty and the mystery of the resurrection of our Lord. And we've actually looked at it from several, from several different angles. If you remember back on Resurrection Sunday on Easter, we looked at the empty tomb, the empty cross, the empty burial shroud. The following week, we examined the idea that our Lord's return from the grave was God's ultimate joke and last laugh over the powers of death and hell. Uh, last Sunday, we followed the experience of the two men, if you remember, who met with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And this week, of course, we read about the women. And, and we've talked before about this, mostly in Bible study, about the fact that, the, uh, that women were the first at the cradle and the last to leave the cross. And in our reading today, it shows us actually they were the first at the resurrection too. And among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the, the mother of James, better known as the other Mary. Like we have Carol's, like we have Carol and the other Carol and, you know, right. Uh, and they had both felt the earthquake at Jesus' death. And now they felt another earthquake as they approached the tomb as, as Almighty God boldly announces the vindication of his son by shaking the earth. And so doing it the first time at Calvary in his great wrath, and then now at the grave in great joy. And so what he's doing by this is tying the crucifixion and the resurrection of his son together in what one author described as a seismic knot, which everyone in the land should have recognized because he promised to do that very thing in the Old Testament scriptures. And this is one of those times when it comes to scripture reading that I really wish I could sing. Uh, because who, who's fans of Handel's Messiah? Who knows pieces from Handel's Messiah? Okay. Uh, this is that scripture that Handel used in that, for that very, very deep uh, bass soloist part from Haggai chapter 2. And I, I'm not going to sing it, I promise. But maybe you'll recognize it. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Can you guys hear the soloist in your head? Right. But you know, the really sad part of all of this is in the midst of all this holy earth shaking all around them, all these women seem to be thinking about is going out to see a tomb. Kind of like you and I would go out to visit a cemetery or decorate a grave. And you don't really see a whole lot of that anymore. At least I, I don't, not like you used to. Um, you know, when I was younger, my family and I visited intended graves of our family members on a pretty regular schedule. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. It, it's a good thing to have a place to focus our grief and to physically connect with the memories we have of the ones that we've loved that have passed on. In fact, speaking of earthquakes, that's really one of the things that makes earthquakes so hard to recover from emotionally is that often the bodies 
of those that are lost can't be found afterwards. And so there's, there's no tangible way to connect our grief uh, to the ones that have been lost that we're grieving. And maybe thoughts like that were on the women's minds as they approached the tomb that morning. You know, like thoughts of what, what if it's caved in? What if we can't find the grave of the Lord that we've loved so much? What about that, that ridiculous stone that the chief priests had ordered to be rolled in front of the entrance? What, what if it's now permanently wedged shut? And it was just all too much for them. But, you know, church, none of that was a problem for God, was it? None of that was a problem for God who dispatches one of his angels to hurry down and to roll the stone away from the entrance so that when the women got there, they could not only see the exact spot where Jesus was laid to rest, but see very clearly that he wasn't there anymore. While the angel just sat on top of the stone watching, waiting for the women to arrive. But let's be sure we understand that the angel didn't roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb so Jesus could get out. Right? Jesus no more needed that stone rolled away to get out of the tomb than God needed the curtain in the temple to be torn in two for him to get out of the Holy of Holies. Church, Jesus left that tomb in the same way he would later that day appear in the locked room where the disciples were hiding out for fear of the Jews. Uh, his resurrected and glorified body was no longer bound by the, uh, the same constraints of time and space as ours is now. Uh, and as one commentator said, I love this, he said, the walls of that tomb could no more contain Jesus than a clear pane of glass can stop the rays of the sun from shining through. But this idea is much more than merely getting the facts of the resurrection story straight because instead for us, what it means is there is nothing in your life that Jesus cannot pass through in order to get to you. Amen, somebody, right? Grief and depression cannot keep him out. Family difficulties and deep-seated resentment cannot stop him from getting to you. A total preoccupation with earthly things and worldly distractions uh, cannot stop him if he sets his redeeming sights on you. Not even a rock-hard heart as thick as that borrowed tomb can keep the Lord from reaching out with his gracious offer of salvation. And listen to how he says it in Ezekiel 36. The Lord says, And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and, I will, and you will no longer worship idols. And he says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will be able to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You see how clear that is? See, our redemption that Jesus bought was God's idea. It was his plan. And he says, I will bring you back. And I will reveal myself through you. And I will sprinkle you with clean water. And I will reach inside and crush your stony heart with the weight of my holiness and the strength of my love and rock you to the very core of your being. All you have to do is trust in me by faith. The faith that he gives you so you can experience the reality of the empty tomb and find in Jesus the forgiveness for all of your sins and the unshakable foundation of his peace for you. So you can find his righteousness for you his salvation for you and his heavenly home for you so that you won't be needing to be afraid no matter what happens around you. It's why Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, 
always ready to help in times of trouble so that we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Uh, let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Selah. And you guys from our series on Psalms, remember what Selah means? Yep, stop and think about it, right? Stop and think about that. And he continues, a river brings joy to the city of our God. The sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. And brothers and sisters, at the very break of day on that first Easter Sunday, that is exactly what happened. Right? That was the message of the angels, right? Don't be afraid. All the powers of the world can rage. All the earthly foundations you depend on can come crashing down because God is our refuge and strength, just like he promised. Right? That, that's the same greeting that the angel Gabriel gave to Zechariah, remember? And then he gave it to Mary and to Joseph, fear not. Remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, the shepherds were terrified until they heard the words, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. And oh, what good news of great joy these angels had for these women, right? He said, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen as he said. And I kind of love the fact that when you're reading it, you can't miss the fact this angel can't resist the opportunity to give just a little gentle scolding here, just a little dig at the women, right? Like basically saying that none of this should be a surprise to you guys. Right? This is what he said. And he's reminding them that Jesus had told them repeatedly in clear and unambiguous terms that the Son of Man would be betrayed into the hands of sinners and crucified and raised on the third day, right? And so in the middle of, of trying to process all of, of this, the women... I think they must have had confused looks on their faces. So the angel said, well, well come here, see, see the place where he lay. And, and you kind of get the feeling from following Matthew's account that these poor ladies were so dumbfounded by all of this, they would have still been standing there if the angel hadn't have told them what to do next, right? They just, they just couldn't process all of this. And so he says, and now go, <laughs> go, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and you'll see him there. Remember what I told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy. And so with this whole kind of confusing mixture of emotions running through them, and you almost have to wonder which was greater for them, the fear or the joy, right? But then out of nowhere, before they reached the disciples, Jesus met them on the road, and he spoke to them. And whatever that, that earthquake on that Good Friday or that great earthquake on Easter Sunday morning might have registered on the Richter scale, uh, I don't think we could begin to measure the quake that encountering the Lord must have happened in their hearts. Remember, they'd seen him crucified. They'd seen the place where he was buried. They, they'd noted that he wasn't there anymore, but now he, he's standing right here. He, he's right in front of them. Forget about the earthquake. They were having a heartquake. And Matthew tells us that they ran to him and they grasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. He didn't say they might. He said they will. And brothers and sisters, the aftershock of that encounter continues to be felt throughout the world today radiating out from the epicenter of that borrowed empty tomb it spread to the women and then on to the disciples and then throughout Jerusalem 
to Judea, to Samaria, to all the ends of the earth, and all the way to a tiny little church on a windy hill hundreds of miles and thousands of years away. And that's us. And those tremors of Easter Sunday are going to continue to shake the world until the last trumpet sounds. But until then, you and I continue to live in a world, uh, and I don't have to tell you this, that threatens to crumble at any moment. Right? Earthquakes and tsunamis destroy countless lives without warning. Governments around the world are being shaken. Our economy is increasingly fragile and could collapse at any moment. Even our own personal lives and our families can be shaken and turned upside down overnight with the death of a spouse, the diagnosis of a disease. And suddenly we find ourselves buried uh, under the rubble of life. And so the question remains when that happens on what will we base our hope for the future? Where are we going to find our peace in the middle of those tragedies? Where are we going to turn for rescue and deliverance? And church, there's only one place, and his name is Jesus. Because in him, God has done an earth-shaking thing in his determination, his desire, his intentionality in sending us Jesus to buy us back from the penalty of sin and death. And not in some kind of generic way. Please hear me on this. God didn't die to make people savable. No, he came for you. Jesus didn't give his life to make your redemption a possibility, but to bring it into reality. Jesus didn't shed his blood for an anonymous blob of humanity or to create a bank of merit for the church to dispense, but instead he came and paid the price, the particular price for my sin, and if you're in Christ, he paid for yours too. And by raising him from the dead, God declares to all of us who live daily over the fault lines of life that he has made all things new in Jesus Christ, and in him alone we have our safety and security. In him alone we have future and a hope and a peace in this crumbling and fallen world. And church, thank God for that. Uh, because all that we have torn apart and destroyed by our own sin, God has joined together by the cross and the empty tomb of his son. The rupture that our rebellion against God caused has been resealed by the blood of Christ. The chasm that our guilt opened and that separated us from our creator has been closed up again by Jesus Christ and accomplished by his death and resurrection from the dead. And, you know, so, so today, although the ground may not be physically shaking underneath us, the Lord is doing some shaking. Political alliances are shaking. Financial systems are shaking. The ethical standards all around us are being allowed to wobble. We're seeing the flimsiness and the decay of structures upon which we based our national pride and hope. And as I said, even our own personal lives are not immune from the shockwaves. Families are in crisis. Marriages are, are breaking down or buckling because sadly, people have all too often built their lives on the weak cornerstones of human wisdom and worldly goods and personal ingenuity. But there's only one secure foundation and that is faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, and here's the other thing. God has a way of shaking things up when he's up to something big. God always has a purpose for allowing upheaval in his ordered creation. And among other things, he is shaking the church. Shaking us out of our apathy and self-focus. Reminding us not to trust in temporary structures of this world or the whims of personalities, but rather we are to rest on the firm foundation of God's steadfast love and salvation and to share that knowledge with the world just as our risen Christ commanded in the Great Commission from the end of today's reading. 
Remember where we read, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and, and suggest that people follow me. Is that what he said? What did he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, teach these new disciples to follow me if they feel like it and, and, and do it if my commands fit their agenda. Right? No, he said, to obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And church, you and I are the Lord's ambassadors on earth. Hey, we're the only ones standing on firm footing. And we have a responsibility to offer this living hope to all of those around us whose foundations are still unstable. Not because we're smarter. Not because we're more religious. Not because we have a better theological education and definitely not because God needs us to spread the gospel, but because he graciously commands that we be the means and the instruments of his saving grace. See, we, it's not a duty, it's a privilege. We get the holy privilege to offer to any who will listen a hope and a future that no job, uh, no government benefits, not even any religious system can give. And church, that's the good news of Eastertide. That's the truth of our testimony in a relationship with a crucified, risen, and soon returning Savior. And I want to draw this to a close with the words of clergyman and author Philip Brooks, who uh, he wrote a poem about this, and, he, and this is what he said. He said, tomb, you shall not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope triumphant say Christ will rise on Easter day. While the patient earth lies waiting till the morn shall be breaking, shuddering beneath the burden dread of her master, cold and dead. Hark, she hears the angels say Christ will rise on Easter day. And when sunrise smites the mountains, pouring light from heavenly fountains, then the earth blooms out to greet once again the blessed feet. And her countless voices say, the Lord has risen on Easter day. And so to all of you whose world is shaking, to any of you still afraid of the mountains of difficulties crashing all around you, and especially to anyone hearing this message whose heart is still as hard and stony and immovable as that rock that was rolled away, hear the good news, the great news of Eastertide. You don't have to be afraid. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. And so repent and believe that today in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this season of Easter that we get to celebrate for these great 50 days, the marvelous, amazing, unbelievable truth that you would be willing to send your son to die for us, even while we were yet sinners. And so, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be among us this morning to open eyes and open ears to convict hearts, uh, Father, we ask that if there's even one among us that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would surprise them by the reality of your presence, uh, that you would help them to see their sin against the law, but at the same time see their great hope in your salvation. And so, Father, we ask that you would be with us as we go out this week, that we would share this message with all that we come in contact with. Uh, and Lord, you would draw us closer together and closer to you. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.